Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today we are joined by David Prochon, one of the founders of Terran, an electric vehicle company looking to change the world and go to the highest active volcano on the planet all at the same time. David, welcome to the Innovation Conversation. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, I'm super excited because I met you guys a year in your team in the Google Festival of Speed. I'm actually quite excited about all this and what you guys are doing. Harry, I... I told Harry, what are we doing? And he was like, we need to have them on the podcast. So thank you very much for coming here. Could you please tell our audience a bit about um, what you're doing, both in terms of the company you've created, but also the adventure itself? Because people are, you know, they really want to know that. Sure, yeah. Thanks a lot for inviting us on the podcast. Uh, we are Terran Electric Drive Systems, a startup company from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And we are creating a dedicated EV platform for off-highway vehicles so none of that passenger vehicle stuff also no highway trucks it's literally working machines predominantly for underground mining then municipal services and agriculture so we don't want to be the manufacturer for the vehicle that goes out to the customer but we want to supply vehicle manufacturers with a platform that has a fully integrated electric drive system um, battery, everything ready, uh, plug and play, and they build their special application on top of it. Hmm, cool. So there's many applications. I, I know Harry loves smarts, smart cities, right, Harry? That's that's the correct terminology. He loves smart cities. Correct terminology. Yeah. We can. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting to find out. You said EV vehicles, looking at batteries, looking at obviously autonomizing and, and creating stuff that's tailored towards a lot of individuals. So there's there's, there's definitely areas that we're willing to pick your brain on. <laughs> hmm. Tell us a bit more mm-hmm. about peak pollution. Um, so I don't want to get it wrong, and I want to, you know, for people just lis- listening to the audio, I don't want to give them the wrong idea. So tell tell us exactly what peak evolution is and what's the adventure behind it, because it's quite interesting, I think. Mm. All right. So, you know, as I said, we are a startup, mm-hmm. and um, in a really competitive business, um, we got ourselves kind of a niche where we are convinced that we're going to be successful, but still EV, um, electric mobility is a very competitive niche. And yeah. there's many startups out there and it's really hard to make a name for yourself. And also because it's um, like the industry is growing extremely quick. There mm-hmm. is a shortage of components like batteries, um, motors, inverters, stuff like that. So the big manufacturers, they usually, they wouldn't even talk to a small startup because unless you order a hundred thousand of whatever you need, Mm a hundred thousand pieces, they are like not interested because they're too busy with the the big customers. And um, also we just wanted to show what we're actually doing because this whole mining municipal service stuff sounds a bit boring, but actually we are convinced that um, you know, this is a super interesting field and it has a huge impact in the end. Mm-hmm. And um, so we had the idea that we're going to do this world record expedition with the first pro- uh, prototype vehicle that we're building. Mm-hmm. So 
We are um, very passionate mountain bikers and mountaineers. So uh, we, I'm talking about me, my two friends are in the, who co-founded the company. We mm -hmm. spend a lot of time in the mountains and we're always looking for higher summits to reach with our um, bikes, uh, the yeah. mountain bikes. And one day we had the idea, we want to go to the highest point that anyone has ever been uh, with a mountain bike. And this was about the same time as we were trying to buy batteries and motors and stuff for our for the prototype. And at that second, it kind of clicked in our heads and say, hey, let's not do it with our mountain bikes, but we are going to drive uh, our the vehicle to the highest point any vehicle has ever reached um, wow. in history. And um, so this was basically the, the moment uh, Peak Evolution was born because um yeah we found this um volcano in chile where yeah. many people have tried before uh, to set an altitude world record so far um all with combustion engines so there was for example a team with unimox from germany they're actually porsche themselves they have tried and then yeah. many like you know rich people with their um uh, ATVs and all kinds of stuff. So it's like a kind of a competition who can reach the highest point on that mountain. But David, ev how, everyone has done it. I'm yeah. just curious, how high is is the mountain? Because this is something that it's um yeah it's uh six thousand uh, eight hundred and ninety three meters. So oh, it's so almost twenty almost twenty one thousand feet. I think uh, something around that. It's it's yeah. very high. It's like if you would climb Mount Everest, it's about the level where you would start wearing oxygen mm -hmm. um, to to keep going. But so it's just, just below the level. Yeah, I'm just going to explain this to your audience in case they don't know, but uh, internal combustion engines need oxygen to operate, right? So the moment you go higher and higher, you have less oxygen in the atmosphere. Therefore, your car engine does not work at all. So it's literally struggling, and it gets to the point it literally shuts down because it doesn't have enough oxygen for, for the mixture, right? But you guys circumvent exactly. this. Because you're running on batteries. Yeah, yeah. So that was also one of the one of the um, ideas we had. Like, you know, let's show just one of the huge advantages that um, electric uh, vehicles have. Because those yeah. other guys, they sometimes they had to run their engines 24 hours a day. I mean, you are there for this expedition. You you have to be there a few days or weeks. You know, and they had to yeah. run them 24 hours a day because if you sh they shut them down. And then they cool down, like the temperatures are between minus 10 to minus 20 degrees. So if those engines cool down, they will just never start again. Uh, so they uh, basically kept them running most of the time. And uh, that's just, that was for us, it was ridiculous, you know. Mm -hmm. So this, this is actually quite interesting because you're going to prove two things. First, the batteries can go further, you know, to the highest point uh, that any, any, any vehicle has ever been, which is pretty cool all by itself. But also, you can you can showcase to some of your potential clients that you can actually operate in a lot of negative temperatures as well, right? And this is a big issue with batteries because their optimal range is never. We always think it's going to be twenty five degrees, but actually, they might be used when it's very very cold or snowing and stuff like that. So, how do you compensate for this? How how do you prepare for this? I mean, yeah, for for sure, we want to show like you know, down in the desert, we're gonna have like temperatures uh, thirty five, forty degrees, and up on the mountains, it's gonna be down to minus twenty degrees. And in the end, the for the batteries, 
that's not a, a big deal, you know, like um, passenger EVs, they are also made for these temperatures. So the battery can be cool, they can be heated. That's um, pretty, like I wouldn't say standard, like most vehicles should be able to handle this. But what we also want to show is just that the whole system actually yeah. can handle all the extreme temperatures and the extreme terrain as well. Um, mm -hmm. So just because we're going to, in the end, we're going to simulate the work in an open pit mine, in, a, uh, in agriculture, everything at once, you know. There is no need for any more explanations. Oh, can your vehicle do this? Can your vehicle do that? Then yeah. just just watch the movie because we're going to do like a documentary about uh, everything, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But we said just watch the movie and then you'll see what what the vehicle can do. That's basically uh, the goal. So there's literally no limits on what you can do. This is quite quite interesting because instead of building a very complicated sales deck and saying we can do all these things and we've tested it here, really, you're going to say, look, look, the, look at the movie. We've done it all. You can see it. And, you know, it's actually us doing it. Which brings me to my next question. Yeah. How, how are you going to charge the, the batteries? I, I know I know it already because I saw your vehicle. But <laughs> our audience and also Harry, uh, how are you going to do this? Yeah, no, it's a good question because the, the mountain is in the um, Atacama Desert. And mm -hmm. it's around 350 kilometers away from the closest civilization. Um, so there's no people around and obviously no electricity. But we will bring a mobile solar power plant. So Ooh, okay. we on top of, on top of the vehicle we have eight square meters of solar panels, but then we yeah. have more uh, thirty square meters that we, that we can put out on the ground, uh, which mm -hmm. gives us around ten kilowatt peak of um, uh, of power to charge it. Nice. So what's what's the range? What's the does does the altitude impact the daily range you're gonna have with this or not really? Um, I mean the altitude is definitely good for solar charging. Because yeah. the colder it is and the thinner the atmosphere above the solar panels, the more efficient they will get. That's mm -hmm. um, that's a bonus for us. But yeah. still, the solar charging is rather slow compared mm -hmm. to uh, like a, you know a, a fast a fast charger. You know where you stop all over with your EV and uh, charge it in twenty minutes. And we have to say it takes roughly um, ten hours. Well, I'd say eight hours of perfect sunshine to, to yeah. fully charge the battery from zero to 100. But you don't get that in one day because, you know, in the morning the sun is very flat and in the evening it's very flat. So we probably would have to stay two days in a place to to fully charge the battery. I'll ask you a quick question. This is actually, yeah, what's your, sure. what's, what's your main market? Is it the UK or is it looking at international? Or you, you mentioned you no, know, no, in no, the Nordic it's, areas. it's international. International. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, um, actually, Chile, because, you know, the, we are going to do this record in Chile. And mm -hmm. at the same time, Chile is actually one of the biggest markets, uh, potential okay. markets, because it's one of the biggest uh, mining nations in the world. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, point. Exactly. How, how are you yeah. finding, because you're actually doing something completely out of the box, how are you finding the conversations with investors? Are they super open to the idea? Or they want to. They actually want to see the movie, and then and then they're gonna invest. How, how is that working? Um, you know, we like you. You say out of the box, but in the end, there is like those mining operators. They yeah. have already started with electrification. You know, they have like they hire you know 
various companies, for example, to make their Toyota Hilux as electric, for example, or they say, I want to have this dumper electric because for them, it's, it's, they can see it black and white on their, um, uh, on their numbers, you know, um, how much money they spend on ventilation and, yeah. and AC for the underground uh, mine shafts. Because every, every kilowatt of, of heat and every bit of pollution that is um, emitted somewhere down there has to be removed. And yeah. they have like huge systems to cool these mines. And sometimes it's like half the operating cost of the whole mine is just for ventilation. And they can, they can clearly see the benefit of electrifying their fleet on the ground. And it's already happening. Yeah. So how can you justify the costs with them as well? Because I know you, you talk about Chile and other, world, other areas around there. They're typically third world countries. And the vehicles that they're using, they're not little tiny vehicles. These are what, 50, 60 ton dump trucks as well. And it's just, yeah. how, what is the, some of the objections you get towards that? Because again, it's, it's a vehicle that probably costs around 2 million plus. It runs on oil, which is obviously cheaper. It's more beneficial. Have they come come back to you and said, "Hey, I'm not really that interested because one, it's it's not really working." And the second part of that question is two: if you're applying this for agriculture, one big thing that no one really talks about is that plants often like CO2 emissions from these, you say, vehicles or em emitting transport transportation devices. And what you often find is with agricultural vehicles, even though they're polluting it, that pollution is actually really good for the yield and the growth of these crops as well. So it's kind of like swings and roundabouts on that side. I saw Ricardo's face because um, if you're yeah, looking to grow, <laughs> never know that because what you can do is you can actually get okay. a polytunnel, put an, put an old car engine in there, let that yeah. run for around an hour or so, and you're actually, uh, you're actually emitting CO2 emissions. Remember, plants absorb CO2. That's how they feed and grow. So when you look on the side of the road, it's, their yeah. plants are actually a lot nicer than the ones you see sometimes on the field with all the clean, fresh air because there's no food for them. Mm. It's, so it's a weird one, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, okay. There's a there's a there's a there's a bunch of question um in, in one that I can I can try and like um yeah. go through them. Like first, I mean, you know the, the like the plant growing with CO two. That's that's actually an interesting point. Um, it of course, yeah, that works. They they grow quicker. Uh, CO two is basically their nutrition, but I think. You know, putting uh, an old engine in your greenhouse and running it is probably the worst way you can make your plants grow quicker. I mean, literally, it's like it's the worst. Don't go way in, you're dead. Because, <laughs> yeah, that anyway. But um, it's actually been being done, especially like in Switzerland. You know, I mean, I can go off on a topic, but you know, we we have garbage burning facilities, and there's a Swiss company that actually remove co2 straight from the um from the chimney you know from the exhausts from the um garbage burning facility and they sell their co2 it's pure pure clean co2 there's mm -hmm. no uh you know all the all the dirty shit that comes out of uh, an ice uh, engine you know the and the soot and the um the nitrous oxides and all of that stuff so they sell their pure CO2 to farmers around and they blow it into the into the greenhouses. So it's okay. this is an actual business. It's it's been done, but I don't think any farmer would think like, 
oh, I don't have a, a like a smoky diesel engine going through my field. That yeah, is, when it comes um, to the, in the UK noisy, ones, yeah. Noisy all, <laughs> you know, noisy all day. I'm, I have the vibrations all day. I have the noise all day, but I still want to do it because my plants grow quicker. I don't think that that happens. So I, that that is not a concern. Like um, it only has advantages in in agriculture. And when it comes to the mining, you know, you were talking about the huge trucks. You know, those uh, hundred ton dumpers. But um, our system, maybe I didn't specify it before, the, the platform we are building is for vehicles ranging from 7 to 15 tons in gross okay. weight. So this like it's modular, you know, you can have uh, like different battery sizes and all of that. But the axle, everything is always the same. Um, mm -hmm. Just maximum gross weight would be around 15 tons and minimum that is still reasonable with those axles is 7 tons. So we're looking at mostly those um, vehicles in underground mines that are used for crew transport for um, like you know bed, um, concrete spraying machines for example you know they have to kind of cover the tunnels sometimes with uh, a spray concrete they have water like water tanks uh, cranes all kinds of stuff so it's not the heavy hauling in the mining but it's kind of these everything around that you need to keep the the mine running you know they like i mean just an example you know we were talking to a mine in portugal and they are currently operating 150 toyota hiluxes you know in okay. in underground and that's just the fleet for that they use you know to haul equipment around have people um, mm -hmm. and they have many vehicles in this kind of um category and the hiluxes actually are not ideal for it because you know they have kind of limited um, payload they have limited space so if you if you can offer them a vehicle that is slightly bigger more capable and electric um mm -hmm. they are really interested in that so, so this goes back to your, kind your of... video about let's prove concept i'll go to you and say hey I know most people want to do test beds and trials to validate the idea. This is the true test bed and, and trial, which is going through all these really hard and ludicrous terrains to show this is what it can do. This is how sustainable it is. You really need this. Is that kind of the whole idea behind yeah, this approach exactly. you're doing? Yeah, oh. yeah. So basically, they would see it. They would say, ah, oh, this could be something for me. Um, they and then we can get in contact and then obviously they want a trial on site but you know it's it's not like you're selling them some uh cgi uh that could be interesting potentially you know no it's, it's, it's quite fascinating what you're doing what about cities i mean you mentioned there's a lot of applications for cities as well for them to use in municipal vehicles maybe to collect trash or to just use for gardening um, how are you finding that market per se? Do, do a lot of people reach out to you already or is it still very dormant and you're still struggling to get into the market? Um, in this is actually the less that uh, the initiative comes from uh, the, the cities or the, uh, the communities. But I mean, this is maybe a bit Switzerland specific or like also Austria, Germany, I would say our region of Europe, kind of the German speaking part. Um, a lot of uh, communities already have put laws in place that yeah. when when some um, 
vehicle has to be replaced. For example, they have some kind of truck they use for forestry work or for garbage collection, all that stuff. When it is replaced, it has to be replaced with an electric vehicle if there is one on the market. So that that is that is a law, not that is not a choice. Obviously, you know there will be trial runs. The vehicle has to fulfill those um, kind of tasks yeah. they they need. But if there is one, even if it costs more than a diesel one, they have to buy it by law. And um, the uh, the average operation time of those vehicles is around twelve to fifteen years. So they stay with a, a community for that long. For example, um, in Switzerland, obviously there's a lot of mountains and almost every village has one, one or two of these vehicles for snow removal, for garbage collection, all of that stuff. And, and maybe some of them, they will have to ask themselves in five years or so, okay, we need a new one, but basically we are not allowed to buy a diesel-powered one. And um, this will be like a matter of going around and kind of introducing this to um, those municipalities and uh, showing it there. And yeah, if we can fulfill the needs, we have a sure business there. Good. I was just thinking, you, probably the operating costs are also a little bit lower, right? Because if you're running on batteries and electricity, you don't need to worry about changing the oil, for example, I'm thinking. Even the brakes, I don't know if you have some type of uh, braking system involved in the vehicle or not, but they also don't need to brake as much, right? Because you have that's also charging the batteries. How, how does that work in terms of when you compare them side by side? Um, yours probably comes up on top, no? Yeah, exactly. That's our main selling point because like, we are not environmentalists or, you know, like trying to save the world. We are uh, like, you know... We know a, a lot enough about the, you know, the whole uh, topic. Like, what what has what effect? How much can you achieve with this? We're not going to save the world with it, but we can actually sell these vehicles purely from an economical uh, viewpoint. You know, the the mining operators they don't come to us because they love, uh, because they think, oh, we can be carbon neutral in twenty years. They, um, they, they, they see mostly the, the finances behind it because we can right now with today with the, the batteries that are still uh, uh, very expensive and also mm -hmm. the electric motors that are still expensive, we can um, say that we have after about seven years, the TCO of um, our vehicle is lower than a diesel powered vehicle. If you're using it, around 500 hours a year a typical municipality would use their vehicle around 500 hours a year a mining operator would use it up to 2000 hours a year so you mm -hmm. can you can imagine how like in a mine how quick it would pay off and even for a municipality it, it uh, um, the purchasing price is a lot higher at the start but then yeah. because of the lower operation costs the 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 tco um 
really soon becomes lower. Yeah, for that reason, actually, we we can show it just from an economical standpoint that it makes sense to replace your vehicle. It's funny you mentioned economics. In terms of raising capital for this idea, how hard is it? Because you actually, you know, some companies only have a software solution and it's all about cloud space, buying cloud space and then creating it and development costs. But you actually have a physical product, which I'm assuming needs a really big manufacturing, not big manufacturing, but you need some manufacturing facilities. You need to buy equipment. How does that work? How hard is it to get investments just to get the idea off the ground? Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's a huge difference. Like industry is like a really kind of slow um, business in terms of it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of time from the idea to when it first actually generates revenue. It's not like an app that you can code in a few months or so and then you throw it out and you know improve it it's like also you don't have like too many chances you know you can have like one two series with some little uh, difficulties but you need to have a product that actually works and the customer is happy with actually we we want to wait till we have the vehicle not even um, the one that is now but the next prototype that will be close to series before we actually going out to investors to take in capital. We have so far been able to 100% fund the, um, the construction of the first prototype from like, um, uh, was like we have one, um, how do you call it, like a support uh, research program from the Swiss government okay. um, that we have been able to um, Acquire. Then we have done a crowdfunding campaign, actually, and um, the next prototype we are looking to finance with the backing of a potential future customer. We we want to have a, a vehicle that is, or like, yeah, I mean, the platform that is close to a series um, production. So mm-hmm. when we raise capital, we are only going to raise the capital for to set up mass production. So, you know, the, the product is already there. The customer yeah. is already there. What mm-hmm. we will need is, like, obviously the facilities, you know, to, to build this. And a lot of capital, I mean, a lot of capital, you know. Let's say um, the batteries in, like, the, in a normal configuration would be around $100,000 oh, wow. or 100,000 francs, you know. Uh, let's say you want to build 50 uh, vehicles so mm-hmm. in the in one year in the first year or something even all, just to buy the, the the raw materials you know with, with this the in the battery mark, market currently is like that that you have to order at least one year uh, mm-hmm. ahead of time and you have to pay you know it's not like they deliver something to you and then you pay a month later or two months later you pay in advance for mm-hmm. a, a supply for a year's supply so yeah. We are looking probably at around 25 to 30 million francs that we would need to set up the, the, the production. Like, I'll ask you a quick question on the, on the production. Yeah, sure. Where would you be doing it? Would you be looking to follow suit and do it in the UK or say, no, I want to find somewhere else that's more affordable, better, and other people of a better standard? Are you look, where would you be looking to do it as well? I, I mean, on the, on the spot. It's maybe also a bit. Uh, like, uh, like uh, okay, we're going to have our own production, but we would also license the production um, to other manufacturers. If, if they are interested, for example, uh, um, a manufacturer of, let's say, 
personnel carriers for the mining industry. Mm-hmm. Um, if they say, yeah, but if we buy this platform from you and we just put the people, like the you know the crew cabin on top, where is our kind of uh, um, value? Uh, you know, added value. You know, we we need to do do something more themselves ourselves. Then we say, okay, look, we're gonna um, help you. You can make them yourselves you can do the whole assembly yourself um you you buy the, a license kind of you know you get okay. the software you get the parts everything but they, and you do the maintenance as well have yeah exactly we we do the maintenance of course um yeah we have, we're gonna have these manufacturers producing the, the platform in in a license and we're yeah. just gonna do the maintenance all the warranty stuff but then we want to set up our own production um, for like small customers that don't want to set up their own production. Um, and actually, we really would like to do it in Switzerland because this whole um, COVID pandemic has shown us how um, like how vulnerable the, the companies get that outsource everything. And we actually can source a lot of the components from you know the German-speaking region. Like we are working with with Bosch drive uh, drive trains like motors inverters. Uh, yeah. We're looking at also the the gears and everything is made around here, and the production process should be like as automated as possible. You know, it's not as labor intensive as it used to be, mm-hmm. and for that, Switzerland is actually not a not a bad place to start. So we, if possible, we would like to keep it here. Do you mind elaborating more on why Switzerland's a really good place? Because I know a lot of the Nordic regions, they've been expanding out lately because there was a huge brain drain. A lot of you know graduates or individuals doing high-end jobs, in, you know, computing, electronic engineering, they sought jobs in, in other regions because obviously affordability is very expensive in those regions. But now, I think over the years, it's, it's been quite apparent that they're trying to put a lot of investment into their own regions in order to attract more people, bring them back, retain their own graduates, keep entrepreneurship inside, but also create strategic links with other countries to kind of help you expand into something that's called a soft landing. Um, just going back to the point, would you be able to kind of expand what are the key initiatives that might be going on in Switzerland that keep you there, apart from obviously hmm. you living there? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, Switzerland is probably one of the places, you know, where all the smartest people in the world come to work. You know, it's like... Um, it's probably one of the best places to find uh, high-skilled um, uh, workers. You know, we have extremely good universities, and um, you know, we have a lot of tech companies. You know, like Switzerland is the, the biggest um, uh, had like what do you say office of Google in uh, outside of the US. Right. So we have, like there's like five five thousand people working for Google in Switzerland. The, the IBM Research Center is in uh, in Switzerland, like stuff like that. But there is a lot of uh, stuff also going on in e-mobility, you know. And um, like in the neighboring village where we are, there is the company Brusa, and they are manufacturing components, for example, for Nikola, okay. uh, for for the trucks, the hydrogen trucks. Um, like there is, it's quite a hotspot actually for this EV technology. So apart from, yeah, of course, the labor cost and living cost is high, but all the other um, circumstances are uh, perfect to set up. What about um, funding as well? Know, so uh, 
government. So how's the government kind of helping you out as well? You mentioned you've got a grant just to do some research and mm-hmm. help put the idea together. Are the local councils and governments, you know, in, in some sense, playing ball? Have they created better incentives for startups and entrepreneurs to create new businesses, you know, give them funding to validate ideas? Because we have a program in the UK called TRIG, which is a transport research innovation grant, where we help, what I said, we, CPC, we help SMEs essentially test and validate their ideas within the transport space. Is that something that's going on within your region as well? Uh, yeah, exactly. No, there is um there has been a lot of programs from the government trying to um uh, encourage the like uh, innovation in this sector. And um I mean it is, you know, there's upsides and downsides, you know. The good side for example is um we got this money from the government without any we don't have to repay it. Um there is um like there is no very strict guidelines what we have to do with it or an outcome, okay. um, which is super nice. You know, we were actually we were ba- able to to build this this prototype partly because of this money, but then the downside is it's quite slow. So the bureaucratic process we had to go through to get this money was extremely tough. It's literally it was one of the most exhausting things I've done in the past years. You know, like. It's like fifty pages of you know cool. number crunching and um, and you know description what you do why you do and all of that. Once you're through that and you have the money, then you're yep. like free to go and like and, and yeah you can really take it for the purpose you think is right. But to get it is a bit slow. Um, I think I don't know if it's still like this, but you know those Silicon Valley times where you show up with a a pitch deck and a Here's great idea <laughs> and some some investor just yeah hands you out the money and uh, like it's quick and you know like everyone wants to do stuff while you know government side is just everything it goes a bit slower and maybe takes half a year and then it takes another few months and stuff yes. like that but um yeah sure the the government um, funding is super helpful okay oh, so if uh, no, I'm just just asking. Uh, so, David, if people want to find you, how can they find you? Obviously, can you just? This is the moment where we kind of ask uh, ask our guests to plug in w- whatever they're doing. And can you just tell tell our audience um, where can they find you? How can they reach out to you? If they want to follow you, follow YouTube, follow you know all the cool things you're doing. So, this this is your moment. So shine away. Yeah, and, sure. And... No, we we yeah, that's that's what we live off. Of course, we um. Yeah. We want to peep, uh, people to follow us on Instagram and YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. Just uh, search for Peak Evolution. Uh, yeah. It will come up straight away. And if you want to know more actually about our business, about the, the EV platform, uh, mm-hmm. Google Terran Electric Drive Systems, uh, type in terranmotors.com. You'll come straight to our website where there's all the details about the platform. And there will be also the links again to YouTube and Instagram. Nice. Thank you very much for your time, David. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys going up the tallest mountain and actually following you on YouTube and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thank you.